Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. everyone welcome back to security token show episode 20 my name is kyle somlin and i'm kyle's co-host hurry konings and we're here with episode 20 very exciting and this week we're going to be talking about fractionalized real estate and so real estate is a really hot topic in the security token space with the asset class being an incredibly popular investment opportunity both domestically and internationally the idea that real estate developers can actually fractionalize their ownership in a property and that that real estate can be distributed across hundreds or thousands of investors worldwide is pretty revolutionary. And so today we're going to dissect exactly why that is. But before we do that, we're going to get into the news and we like to kick that off with our companies of the week. So Herwig, I'm really excited to tell you about my company of the week this week, which is HSBC. And HSBC SGX and Temasek are they all three came together to build a blockchain platform for fixed income securities. And so HSBC Singapore specifically is leading this initiative with a partnership with the Singapore Exchange as well as the state-owned Temasek for a blockchain trial to service fixed income securities of Asian bonds. And so the region is about a $15 trillion bond market, which is enormous. And that was as of June 2019. So this is growing considerably, especially with with the growth in Singapore and the business districts in Asia over the last few decades. And so a lot of that is funded through bond issuance. And SGX has actually issued billions of dollars worth of these traditional bonds. And so HSBC is looking to build that platform to manage data transfer between the uh, debt issuances from SGX, as well as specifically noting a trial to leverage blockchain technology, as well as tokenized securities, which is a great step towards determining a consistent definition for security tokens. It's something that you and I have discussed at length about how each of these jurisdictions needs to have a consistent definition of what that is, and they clearly are making strides towards that here in Singapore. And so it's a super positive sign, but it really shouldn't come as a surprise that institutions are are moving into this space that are considering how to leverage security tokens for efficiencies across all different sectors. But debt issuance especially is something we're totally excited about because of the fact that most debt transfer comes on OTC markets. It's peer-to-peer exchange. It's very inefficient. You can't really facilitate micro transactions in terms of, of the time horizons and, and the high frequency stuff because of the fact that it's it's much more OTC instead of automated exchange. So Great opportunity for debt to really shine as a great use case. Awesome work from some institutional players really looking to lead the way here. And for that reason, HSBC Singapore is my company of the week. This is major, Kyle. I think you have awarded a great company here. At the end of the day, I know you're very vocal about uh, specifically bonds also as a use case, not just debt in general, but but bonds specifically here is an incredible opportunity. And I agree, this is a, a showcase. But for those of you who are new to the podcast, we always like to give our companies of the week out to companies that are doing the biggest things for the industry, making the biggest advancements 
or innovations. And without a doubt, HSBC as a, a major bank in the world, the influence that they carry to partner up with another major exchange to target the $15 trillion Asian bond market with essentially a blockchain platform designed for you know making the efficiencies of, of debt issuances through the platform is, is huge. I, I'm super excited. Of course, these things do tend to take a lot longer. I'd love to know what the the timeline is on this project specifically, but we also do know that Singapore is, is a very active and has been very innovative specifically in this industry. So hopefully that existing infrastructure is gonna help get this platform to market sooner than later. We do see that adoption tends to happen in those markets even quicker than it does in a lot of the American and Western Europe financial markets. So potentially that could be an advantage they have as well is that once they get this platform live and running, potentially it becomes adopted much, much quicker, which would be fantastic. Absolutely. Great, great news. And let me tell you a little bit about my company of the week, please, which is this week actually going to be Bank to the Future. And for those of you who don't know, it's actually a well-known investment platform in the space. They date back all the way to 2011. And in 2015, they raised a venture around to specifically position their platform to focus on blockchain projects, specifically ambitious and large ones. And they that bet paid off. They ended up becoming one of the biggest platforms in the ICO space, helping usher some of the largest uh, fundraises that happened during that period. In fact, they even ate their own dog food and did their own ICO in 2018, helping them secure $33 million in financing. Although I do got to give them a little slap on the wrist because it's not very clear what that token solves for today. The market cap for that token is a, a little bit above $10 million. So overall, uh, you can say that uh, that hasn't panned off for investors, but maybe not yet. We'll see how that gets used in the future plans. But meanwhile, Simon Dixon, the CEO, has announced that they are very bullish on the security token technology, specifically that they plan to position the company to once again be bullish on this new trend. And they've done so by recently investing in BMI Capital, which is a licensed broker dealer here in the United States since 2012. Obviously, this is necessary. Bank to the Future is a Cayman Islands-based company, and a lot of their ICOs were often restricted from U.S. investors because of the, the legal uh, issues. And now it seems to be that they are going fully forward on compliance. In fact, Simon, the CEO, is quoted saying that they forecast by 2020, up to 50% will opt for an innovative security token that improves the potential for returns for investors over traditional equity. We are aiming to build a new industry and asset class. So without a doubt, it's very clear that they see this for sure as a major, if not the next major part of their business. With a lot of financing in the bank, a large investor network already existing, and now the right proper regulations and licenses in place for them to operate in the STO space, that gets me excited. That's why they are my company of the week, Kyle. It's fantastic. It's great news. We love when companies are able to get the compliance and the, the regulations that they need to, to pursue more traditional financing services and investment banking services. It's, it's great news. It just adds another level of legitimacy to the space. It separates us from some of those crypto fundraising 
sketchy processes that we saw in, in that time and kind of helps distance ourselves away from the ICO when we're talking about broker dealers and, and real securities and everything there. So great news from Bank to the Future. And, and they, they did have you know a, a very successful time assisting companies in fundraising. So to have another network of investors looking at deals and providing some of that investment is going to be huge because as we've said, assets are great, but if there's no one buying into these projects, it, it can tend to, to make them struggle and certainly hurts the liquidity on the secondary market. So if investors are interested and participated in learning about the market, it's only good things for the space. Absolutely agree. It's great to see ICO companies go pivot into the security token space completely like this, as well as the fact that, like you said, their track record helps with this. So I, I have no doubt that we're going to see some major STOs next year, maybe even by the end of this year on the platform. Fingers crossed. We'll, we'll see. Now let's get into last week's news. We do cover this on a weekly basis. For those of you who are new, we source all of our articles from stomarket.com slash news. That's Security Token Markets news community where we, we source from all over. And this week, I'm going to kick it off with some very exciting news from UpRats, which is a New York City-based real estate issuance platform that's actually owned by the Jin Group, which is a New York Stock Exchange-listed real estate conglomerate that is actually based out of China. Hmm. And for those of you who were listening a couple weeks ago, we, we announced that China actually had come out very, very strongly on blockchain, uh, especially because they were kind of under wraps since then, kind of banning things here and there. And then suddenly they announced 500 plus government-sponsored blockchain projects across pretty much all verticals of blockchain. And UpRets is one of those companies. They, the company itself touts to have many patents in the blockchain space regarding this technology. And Jin Group, being a real estate conglomerate, is now having their, their tokenization technology put to use, again, eating their own dog food by taking their existing portfolio, specifically starting with some residential homes in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Now, this is, of course, following a recent trend that we've been talking about on the show. On the last two weeks alone, we highlighted a Tokyo-based investment bank, MBK, tokenizing uh, residential real estate in Estonia. We have Realty, which last week announced, uh, which a Florida-based company announcing a, a property in Detroit, Michigan that's tokenized. And even T0 also announced that the, they will have tokenized options, hopefully listed very soon, of the marquee asset, the River Plaza in London. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing constant examples recently of, of real estate getting tokenized, which is on trend with our topic today. But of course, UpRest today has, has joined that group. And it's funny because it's not even 2020, right? This, that, these are getting tokenized today and it is here, folks. Moving over a little bit across uh, from China to Japan, which also suddenly has kind of come up and become a major player in the security token ecosystem. Uh, as part of this last week, Tokai Tokyo Financial Holdings invested roughly $4.5 million in Singapore exchange iStocks. Now, they also revealed the valuation, and ultimately, in return, they received a 4.8% stake, which does put the exchange roughly right under the $100 million valuation. And they have had a notable investment from Temasek Holdings as well, and including taking ex-MAS regulators, the, the equivalent of the SEC in Singapore there, on their team. And of course, the company is notably part of the MAS FinTech Sandbox. Uh, iStocks is expected to launch 
early 2020, I believe in February. And this just helps further validate that the company is on the right track and gives them the resources that they need to hopefully stick to that timeline. So great. Congratulations to iStox. They've, they've been our company of the week in the past, and I'm very excited for, for them. I'm excited about iStox. I, they were my company of the week. And uh, yeah, they've, they've got a great team behind them, as we had talked about with, with some of their, their regulators, long-serving regulators in capital markets that are in the C-suite, they're really trying to take a, a strong approach and be smart about how they launch their platform. I'm happy to see that they are rewarded with, with a, a successful fundraising round and, and managed to, to not dilute very much at all. So uh, great news. Excited to see what they're able to do with that. And on a little note there, actually, um, the, the fact is that to, J- Japan does not actually have a exchange itself. So it's interesting to hmm. see that even though the company has become very bullish, they are investing in a Singapore-based exchange, so we'll see if that, that changes over time. I'm sure I expect that it will, but it seems to be that you know Japan seems to be focused on Singapore as kind of its liquidity pool. Interesting. Moving on to Europe, we have the Swiss International Exchange recently announcing that actually from the, the crypto firm itself, crypto firm is called... Anus, uh, which actually they have announced that this is their ninth ETP. An ETP is an exchange-traded product that is listed on the ISX. And in this case, it is an ETP representing the Tezos blockchain. Now, the Tezos blockchain is a proof-of-stake blockchain, which essentially means that if you own uh, tokens, then the longer you hold them, the more you'll actually earn over time for being a holder. This is seen as for many in the blockchain industry as a better solution to the proof of work method, which requires using computers to mine and support the blockchain infrastructure. And actually this is even more relevant because the company announced this uh, as an exciting product because they saw Tezos is quietly taking over the securities, uh, digital securities industry, preparing itself, improving itself as a, a tools and security necessary to facilitate those efforts. So if you actually want to get exposed to the Tezos blockchain without even owning a single token, this is the ETP for you. It's actually very interesting because now you could actually participate in the exchange traded product and exit it without necessarily underlying the operations below it, the rewards that the ETP has itself staked. In fact, the company has announced that as the company, of course, as the ETP continues to receive its rewards, it will be reinvested back into the holdings, therefore kind of maintaining that the longer you hold the product, the larger your underlying share will become. Fascinating product. Really excited to see kind of how that reacts on the market. It is not tokenized. It is a traditional product, which is also very interesting because it does encourage more traditional institutions and financial players to be able to access blockchain opportunities without necessarily having to become uh, a, a digital custodian or having to get familiar with the technology, etc. I wonder if that ETP is a security. It is, 100%. It it's, is. It's, it's listed on the Swiss International Exchange. Right. So then I wonder what that the implications are on Tezos as a token, if it's mirroring the Tezos token. I, I wonder now. I do know that the SIX has been a lot more open-minded than the SEC here. Mm-hmm. So hence this company having their ninth ETP. So I think they're much more 
you know, flexible on what they list. So right. it could just be an ETP for a virtual asset. It doesn't have to necessarily be an underlying security. Um, now going back over here, the United States, very popular company on the show, Overstock and T0 <laughs> is in the news yet again. In fact, once again, not necessarily for the best reasons, with Overstock.com shares falling to a 52-month low. The company, I believe, is uh, last valued at just under $300 million publicly, and this is all in light of the fact that their e-commerce furniture business is starting to dwindle and has been for some time, and they've notably been pivoting into the blockchain space with T0 and Medici, but because that has yet to see fruition and because of issues with T0 itself, the, there is definitely a lot of hot water, specifically around the fact that they announced a very historic dividend. They would be doing a stock dividend that would award a tokenized stock, uh, public stock. And due to a whole uh, reasons around uh, issues specifically that we're not going to get into too much detail. We have discussed. The, we have detail. discussed it in the past episode. Definitely, definitely go look for that if you're you're curious. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the CEO uh, Patrick Byrne, who was kind of responsible for architecting everything, left all around at the same time, exiting. Uh, his positions while also kind of timing it during this dividend, which put a lot of short sellers in a tough position. Anyway, needless to say, there's a lot of lawsuits flying around. And most recently, it was revealed by Overstock that they actually were subpoenaed by the SEC in early October for this actual digital dividend as well. The details behind that are, are not very clear other than the company is working with the SEC to, to work through this. But as the company continues to post losses and their cash supply continues to, to lower, the company recently announced that they're going to be issuing new shares and raising another $150 million um, to continue and, of course, support this vision. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see if any actions from the SEC come out uh, before the end of the year around any of this. Certainly very interesting, definitely none of it great news for T0 or its parent company, Overstock. I also read the Q3 transcript of, of the call, uh, the investor call between Jonathan Johnson, the CEO of Overstock, I believe Sam Nur Salehi, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, the CEO of, of T0 as well was on the call. And Sam did reiterate that in terms of their three priorities with T0, I think it was high quality assets and, and facilitating those transfers, investor onboarding. And then finally, the third piece of it was launching the Boston Securities Exchange. So we've mentioned that the, the, the Boston Security Token Exchange or B, BSTX or something along those lines, it was a joint venture formed by T0, Overstock and another company and that was something that they were looking to launch. It's still still a priority for them. It was mentioned on their, their quarterly call. And uh, so that's something to pay attention to as well, how that piece fits into it. We'll just have to see. Yeah, definitely a, a lot of spinning plates, let's say, with a, a couple of them seeming to, to fall and, and break. Moving on, uh, actually, there was a very cool project initiated by the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, back in November 2016 called Project Ubin, aimed at the clearance and settlement of payments and securities using distributed ledger technology. Now, around three years later, 
Stax has announced to join the project, claiming to be one of the companies today able to digitize the entire life cycle of traditional securities in the capital markets on the blockchain, also claiming to have worked with several exchanges already across Europe and Asia. Stax recently showcased to the MAS and was asked to join the, the fifth phase of Project Ubin, where they, where they showcase some of their technology and apparently that it was very, very enticing. There is a lot of interest around their instant delivery of payment of securities against currencies through applied blockchain. With recent reports of blockchain adoption in the capital markets, Stack serves as a bridging solution partner and hopes to garner more companies to participate within the payments network of Project Ubin through its proprietary blockchain as that bridging platform. This is definitely one of the leading projects in the, the fintech blockchain space and Singapore, I think. It's, there's been a lot of progress around this already. And I expect Stacks to announce likely many more members and exchange partners in the near future. Definitely more validation that the company is working with regulators and that they seem to have technology that uh, says what they're, they're aiming to do. Finally, the last piece of information I have for everybody this is a, a bit of an interesting one where we have the CFTC chairman, Heath Tarbert, questioning whether Ethereum's cryptocurrency, Ether, could actually be classified from a commodity to a security after its planned upgrade. So I had mentioned earlier the different proof-of-work and proof-of-stake models. For those of you who don't know, Ethereum is a proof-of-work model that has largely been trying to and planning to upgrade to a proof-of-stake model for some time now. The difference was that with a proof-of-work model, it has largely been seen in the eyes of the SEC as a more decentralized model and less likely to be classified as a security. What the CFTC chairman is questioning here is when it moves to a proof-of-stake model where, as I described the process earlier, you hold the token and you are incentivized so that the longer you hold the token and the more you hold, more tokens you hold, actually the more you'll earn. So this sounds a lot like a share because now I am just a passive investor. As a user, I am holding a token, aka I'm an investor buying a share. And as that network or that company develops profits, it is redistributed to the token holders, aka to the investors, and therefore largely mimics a profit system and therefore could indeed classify Ethereum as a security. Certainly, the SEC has had no specific response to this, and we'll be on the lookout if there are any remarks around it. But this coming from the CFTC, it certainly carries a little bit of weight and certainly brings up some interesting questions around the proof-of-stake model and, and what that might mean. I mean, Ethereum or Ether being classified as a security, which means it would have to register with the SEC, and there's a, a lot of ramifications as a result, something we anticipate covering in, in one of the future episodes on the show. So for now, Kyle, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this little remark. Uh, any, any disagreements with me? Well, I actually, I think that I reaffirmed it earlier with my offhand comment about the Tezos token and the ETP there. Um, you know, I, I don't really know exactly where I lie on this, and certainly it's not my job to make the d distinguish, uh, or the determination rather, but it does seem like when you boil it down to the most basic components of what a proof-of-stake token is, 
essentially what you're saying is you're buying something that gives you the right to those staked returns. So, so and, and it seems like on a, on a basic level, there is there are rights to dividends, essentially, to these investors for doing nothing other than owning this thing, which sounds a whole lot like dividends to me. So it, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. It, it's, the implications are large. It's not to say that it can't be done, though, right? That we have, for example, the case of Mike Cagney with Provenance, which is a debt protocol that he has said they intend to take public because they expect all their node holders, which will work in a very similar way, to be able to get profits from people using their mm-hmm. debt protocol, and therefore they must be registered as right. a public security. So we'll see if, if perhaps they show the, the right way to do things or perhaps get the SEC's blessing to now do this new model. Right, yeah. Needless to say, you're right. It's certainly not our job, and we're not attorneys <laughs> or financial advisors, but nevertheless, certainly relevant news, uh, I think. Fun to talk about. With that, that is all I have for us this week. Hope you had a good time listening to that. Now I'm going to pass it over to Kyle, who's going to tell us about the latest updates of the latest security token offerings, as well as hopefully some new ones to, to discuss. I'd also like to highlight again, as we always like to say as many times as we can throughout the show, all of our news is sourced from Security Token Market, stomarket.com slash news. There's a full built-out news aggregator there where we and many of our other users actually post articles. You can upvote for relevance. You can comment. You can do a lot of those similar features you see in other places. But this is just a great platform for us to showcase all of our news. It's what we use internally with our team, and it's what all of our users use as well to, to keep up to date on the security token space. So if you're interested in seeing more, getting a sneak peek about some things we might talk about on the show, or even just putting in your own articles that you think are relevant, you'd like to have us review and, and maybe feature on the podcast, definitely go check out stomarket.com news. We'd love to have you join the discussion. And so going into our updates, so I always like to lead it off with the updates because if you've been listening for a while, you know that I like to bring you the the breaking news, the immediate scoop, and sometimes we don't have all the information when you first find out about an offering. You need to either clarify with the team or more information slowly trickles out or we start to reach out to our network. And so we always like to lead off with the updates. These are the things that I told you that I'd bring back as soon as I could find out more. And so the first one we're going to start out with is Merge. And we love Merge. Merge is an, an exchange based out of Seychelles, and they were looking to do an IPO on their equity in the form of a security token. And so they were going to, this is not very different than maybe what you're, you're used to with something like T0 in terms of, of taking that ownership in the exchange. This one being very different in the sense that they have over 30 assets currently on their exchange, which represents about 20% of Seychelles' GDP, is represented on their current exchange in traditional securities assets. And so now they're going to be going live and launching their security token exchange. And again, just like we've seen with a lot of other exchanges, what better way to do that than to pioneer and to show this process through, as well as to potentially raise some funds to be able to scale this option for other assets. And so... Merge is conducting their IPO security token for exchange equity. This is nothing new. Uh, we've been talking about it a lot, but they were they were supposed to close the offering in November, but they've decided to actually extend it for a few extra months. And the, the 
timeline here, the reason being from what we were able to gather from, from people we've discussed within the industry is that they actually were having interesting conversations with investors who needed a little bit more time to due diligence. So potentially they ran up until the end of Q4 and, and sometimes that can cause things to be slow, but they're looking to extend. They're actually going to have their, their offerings extended through February. So they're going to take the first two months of 2020 as well as to finish out the year here strong and try to give investors that are interested additional time to, to properly diligence the deal and potentially invest. And so they're looking to raise $4 million in total, which is a similar amount we saw from iStocks that just successfully completed that raise, except they're actually valuing them themselves at $25 million as opposed to $100. So it's, it's a much lower valuation, much more equity for investors. They've raised, I think, about $550,000 to date, which did reach their their soft cap. So they will be moving forward with their exchange development. And now they're just looking to bring on additional resources to scale. And so as a reminder, it's $2,000 minimum investment US dollars buy-in for international investors. And it's a $10,000 minimum for US investors. This is something that you think that you'd want to participate in, in terms of investing in a fully regulated exchange with many of the similar licenses of NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange and many of the other exchanges you know around the world. Definitely go check them out. Merge.exchange is their website. Additionally, we have ZN Energy. And you may remember ZN Energy. They actually made an, an acquisition of a property or, or a partial property in Texas with their own security token, the ZN Coin. They actually, there's another acquisition from ZN Energy. They, they made a second acquisition. This time they actually acquired 2% of a project that is operated by Old Texas Land and Energy Company. And the prospect is, or it's called the Prior Prospect, and it is in the Saxet oil field in Texas. And so I guess that's a region of, of uh, these drilling facilities. And so this, this Prior Prospect land is projected to have about 700,000 barrels of harvestable oil across its, its horizon of, of drilling. And so the property... The, property, excuse me, was purchased with ZN Energy security token, which is the ZN coin, which gives investors access to the return on the properties owned by ZN Energy. So it's kind of a, they were acquiring it with stock essentially in the ownership of this property. So it's 2% they acquired. This is their second oil field or, or piece of an oil field that they've now acquired to build their assets and diversify across many different oil fields. So Good for ZN. They seem to be really making some moves. There seems to be demand for the ZN coin. They're able to sell these, these property owners on the valuation of, of that, that token. And it's nothing but good news from them. On top of that, we have one more other thing from ZN Energy. And they actually named David Greenberg as the chairman of their new ZN digital energy trading platform. And so if you're listening, you're listening to this via the podcast, they sound the same, but ZN Energy is spelled Z-I-Y-E-N, ZN Energy. And they are actually launching an issuance platform called ZN, Z-Y-E-N. So um, sounds the same, but, but they are you know, spelled and styled differently. And so Z-Y-E-N, ZN is going to be the issuance platform that they are looking to help other energy and natural oil and, and gas asset owners to be able to tokenize their properties. And so they're launching a tokenization platform as well as an asset management platform, which is called ZN Energy, as we mentioned, which is run by Alastair Caithness. And he is running ZN Energy. He's managing that. But David Greenberg 
um, will be managing the Zen Digital Issuance Platform. And so they made a, a couple big announcements this week, especially you know, a new acquisition is fantastic. They're looking to build out their book value and balance sheet and uh, good for Zen with all of their progress. We also have one new STO this week, Herwig. The ECOSC is launching a security token to upgrade the global oil and gas supply. So there is another natural gas security token, this one coming from ECOSC. And so they're looking to actually build a blockchain management solution. And according to the article I found from securities.io, they are conducting a dual utility token and security token model with the utility token occurring via an IEO. So it seems like they've really blended all of the options that they have to maximize the attractiveness of this offering. Also does make it relatively complicated. I haven't been able to find much information on the structure of the security token and what that might look like. All that we saw in the article was a brief mention that the security token will represent shares in quote unquote the project. I presume that that means the overall platform, but I'm not sure if they're launching security tokens for the issuers of, that, that will be leveraging the technology. I'm not fully sure what that looks like yet, but the, the key takeaway here is that there's really good movement coming from energy and oil, which are high quality assets that are a great use for, for real world assets being tokenized. Certainly the energy and oil industries have been incredibly profitable and are a pretty closed market for, for the traditional investor. So if you're confident in, in that industry, you want to participate in helping that technology grow, definitely check out ECOSC, and I'll keep you updated on what that structure might look like as soon as I can get information. Lots of energy and, and oil and gas deals, huh? It's great to see yet another asset class be focused on by tokenization. You have the two deals you just mentioned. I know there's Westcan. I know there's other projects in the space. So it's a very, very cool, Kyle. Yeah, it's great. I, I, I'm a big fan of, of, of those natural resources representing or being represented by security tokens in one way or another, whether that's harvesting, whether that's collecting or, or managing. I think that those are, are high quality assets. You know, there's a lot of talk about securities and, and, and equities, but I mean, they're all securities, but equities rather and, and startups, especially and, and what you know tech can do and being an early tech investor and getting liquidity, blah, blah, blah. blah. But you know, a lot of these traditional assets have great value propositions and return tremendous capital and haven't been accessible for the traditional investor. And so those are, are great additional use cases. Yeah, and I think it, it, it's almost funny because oil and gas, Kyle, it's almost like the balance between the security and safety of real estate, but the sort of risk and return of something like an equity because mm -hmm. it's very similar in the sense that you are typically buying land and you're, you're investing in a project that is going to re return value over time that you can seize those assets in the case of an issue. Um, but uh, ultimately, because you don't necessarily know the amount of resources to the exact extent, whereas with the real estate, you know what your occupancy levels can be and what you can ultimately charge, you do kind of have this opportunity to have an even bigger ROI in case the drilling goes very successfully. So it's a, it's a great asset class, I think, as well for tokenization, and I'm looking forward to seeing many more. And it seems like there will even be issuance platforms focused on the asset class to help that happen. Great returns. 
let's just see how they maybe can perform if they can get to secondary markets, if we can successfully fundraise and, and see some of these projects grow and develop and, and hopefully generate great returns for investors and, and back that up. I think that in theory, we, we're, we're on the right track, but reality will tell its own tale. That's a great segue into the market update because we do have some live security tokens. Unfortunately, this week we lost a live security token. We were very excited that Merge was going to be live on their exchange, but, but with the new recent news that they are going to be extending their fundraising period, we are, are, are not going to be reporting on, on Merge. We do have our familiar updates from T0. There was some significant volume today. It was, a, it was a, an anomaly for T0 today. They actually had $20,000 in volume today, which is the highest it's seen in months, where it's usually averaging three dollars to $5,000 in volume. Today, it hit about twenty. Unfortunately, there was a lot of selling pressure. The price is down to $0.97 cents per token. Again, they sold. They, they did their initial offering at $10. So it's below a dollar. I keep saying it again and again and again, and I'm not telling anything new at this point, but if you're an exchange and your equity is valued by the assets on your exchange, only selling your exchange equity is going to be a tough sell for investors. I, I just... It, the value proposition is that you can get access to other deals. And so hopefully they can solve this before it starts to spin I, I, out of control. I have to guess this is all related to the overstock badness. At the end of the day, the people investing in T0 know this is a long-term play. I'm sure they know the assets are, are coming. I, I think specifically we've seen consistent news and consistent downward pressure um, I, I would have to guess that there's something around that uh, related to this. But um. I, I believe your hunch is probably correct there, Herwig. Their market cap does lead the way regardless at $25 million market cap at this point for T0. Unfortunately, the other tokens had no notable volume this week. So we, we really didn't see any trades. I think there were a few potentially test trades, honestly, but that was pretty much it from the other ones. Which leaves our total security token market cap at around $76 million, which is still holding out okay. A lot of these illiquid tokens, the market cap maybe is, is inflated because the demand isn't there. But we're still waiting on some really high-quality new assets to bring a spark to the market. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that all of those things are coming. It just is probably six months away before they really fill their raises. And depending on, on the lockup period, we're still talking about six to 12 months in lockup for investors. So we're, we're making our way there. Potentially next year, we see some of the lockups that completed over 2019 that went slightly under the radar can come through. And uh, we'll just keep keep plugging away and keep working with, with, with what we have. Moving forward, Herwig, what are our events looking like for, for the upcoming uh, couple of weeks? I'm happy to share with everybody the, the latest. You know, we, we talked about previously Vertalo doing a live tokenization and trading demo, which is coming up on November 20th. Kyle and I did get to see this in person, and it's definitely a great way to see the Vertalo technology in action and just to see how quick and easy this process actually is. In this case, it's a, a Zoom webinar at 1 p.m. Central Time on November 20th. Finance Malta announced they will be doing their last event of the year on November 26th at the Corinthia Palace Hotel in Attard. They will be hosting a panel specifically on security token offerings. So if you're in the area, definitely go check that out. 
And finally, we have security tokens realized in New York on December 5th. So if you're going to be attending in any of those, let us know in the community how, the, how those events went. And of course, we'll be looking for any coverage we can find ourselves. But with that, we can move into our main topic. And the main topic is also regarding a opinion article to kick us off here. So uh, for those of you who are also new, you can find the articles that we discussed in today's episode, not just on stomarket.com slash news, but you should also be able to find it in the description of wherever you're listening to uh, the podcast on. And you should be able to find a nice little Forbes article. It comes from a previous property developer and prop tech investor who, who writes for the Forbes Real Estate Council. And this article highlights the, the future of real estate investing being, of course, digital securities and tokenized real estate. And we've obviously covered the subject, but the, the op-ed does do a, a good deep dive, I'd say, with more of a, an industry veteran uh, evaluation. And of course, chief among them are the benefits of the investing experience and even the home buying experience, just in general, how, how blockchain covers the scope. Today, though, we're going to cover one of those major benefits in more detail, specifically fractionalized ownership, which we think is one of those biggest value adds. I'm going to hand it over to Kyle to help break down exactly what that process looks like today. What does fractional ownership for a real real estate asset look like versus you know going into uh, the actual benefits of the technology? So fractionalized ownership is one of those buzzwords that got thrown around in the crypto space as a lot of people were transitioning to security tokens as one of those benefits that that might exist. It's one that we've fleshed out in much detail with, with many of the successful companies, especially here in the real estate space. But it is important to note that fractionalized ownership is something with real world assets that is technically it's possible today. It's just time consuming and costly. And some of those examples include the fact that real estate can actually be currently fractionalized via an exemption called tenants, tenants in common which allows for multiple owners of a property to manage that together. It's something that is used, is seen. The problems arise actually regarding managing and dissolving the the TIC, Tenants in Common Exemption or or regulation, however you'd like to call it. And this is because it is transferable to your estate, but dissolving it requires actually a separate agreement that needs to be renegotiated. It also can lead to mediation and pieces like this that are just very bulky, a lot of in-person, a lot of paperwork and so not super, not super efficient capital markets for sure in the you know, real estate markets. Additionally, you're, you may be familiar with timeshares, right? This is an example of something where you buy into a piece of the property and, and it's highly regulated by whoever's issuing the timeshare. And, and oftentimes you get stuck with, with a, you know, a couple weeks in some random undesirable month to own this property instead of maybe when you might have wanted it. It also is known to be a low quality investment just because of its illiquidity and rigidity in the sense of you own this timeshare, but you can only use it at a specific month or week that maybe if you don't want it too bad, you're going to need to find somebody to purchase that from you and you're locked in. So timeshares do exist. Again, another example of fractionalized ownership, but one that that really doesn't capitalize on what those benefits may be. Um, Last example I'll I'll give you is the traditional marquee assets and or large scale projects where we're talking about putting together hundred million, half billion dollar valued buildings, whether they're commercial or or even uh, 
apartments and condo buildings, those can be traditionally difficult to access simply because they have a very high requirement to invest and participate, and therefore it was limited to basically the institutions and the funds that were in that space. I also wonder if there was a robust liquidity pool there as well. There may be some issues with that in the traditional... Definitely an inefficient, let's call it, market. So when we look at how that would work with security tokens, the reality is that what you can do is you can divide the ownership of a property into shares of a security token. So you would divide that into as many shares outstanding as, as you're looking to do. And smart contracts actually allow for the ease of transaction between those buyers and sellers. And so that includes the agreements being online and, and secured by the blockchain, as well as pre-programmed and automated compliance, and also for secure payment systems and the transactional piece of it. So a lot of those, those heavy paperwork pieces, a lot of that legal protection actually can be automated and, and really built in such that a specific buyer or a specific seller doesn't necessarily need to draft all these documents again for each property, which they all have their standard agreements. Why don't we build these things in so that you just need to fill out one piece of it and then the rest is executed through a smart contract that can then be, be shared amongst all of these different properties. And so on top of that, the investors, once you've invested, have then returned the equivalent fraction of the future sale price, right? So there's a couple ways that this might work in terms of if you're investing in a, a consortium or a portfolio of real estate properties and are potentially returned dividends yearly or quarterly based off of how those assets appreciate or if some are sold. We've also seen examples of, of a specific asset and if that thing gets sold or transferred, then the, the tokens are dissolved and the return profits then go to the specific investors or even in some cases where that token maintains and, and persists over time. So there's a lot of different examples that's all kind of in the structure of the deal, which goes back to that, that question of rigidity or flexibility. And so with a security token, Whatever the demands of the investor or the issuer are, they can structure this thing in a way that makes sense for everyone. And as long as that's clear and again, pre-programmed and determined from the beginning so that nobody can just kind of go back later and say that it was something different with a, with a secured contract in that regard, it can be incredibly efficient and, and allows for, for many new investment vehicles. And of course, you're talking about the entire process you just described now being an entirely digital one, which almost all the time is currently completely analog, hence why it's also very difficult for these types of projects to get a global audience. The the reality is it's typically focused on a local subset of investors. And now, with it being a digital process, all of that governance and compliance can be embedded into a digital manner so that it can be accessed globally. And I think the overall trend that we're talking about here is when you're giving issuers a lower cost of capital and an overall lower cost per investor to manage, you are making it so that they can lower their overall investment threshold enabling more individuals who previously couldn't access those minimum investment threshold requirements, right? And so now you can globally access more people, you can access more people in general, you can manage them all in an even easier format, and therefore you really have the true value of fractionalized ownership 
and it's not just our, 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 you know, us, just us two saying it, right? We've proven that here with the news that we're hearing. MBK, specifically out of Tokyo, said that the real reason that they're doing it is for fractionalized ownership because this enables them to get their clients more diversification because now they can allot their portfolio into more real estate projects as opposed to being concentrated into just one. It allows for a, a more diversified market for real estate. It allows investors to participate, as you mentioned, in the two key ways. They have to. They don't need to offer quite as much capital, which again is less risk for them. It may, might make them more inclined to invest because of the the capital requirements are lower, and also it allows for them to have a shorter time horizon on investment because because of the fact that these are more efficient capital markets these in theory should be able to be sold and bought with less premiums or discounts than than in traditional markets because of, of some of the things we've already discussed it allows them to feel more confident in owning these things around the world you can have international investors from anywhere around the world investing in any properties they want whether it's it's homes or whether it's commercial real estate or, or large, incredibly large institutional properties. Now anybody can invest in these things, which allows for a, I think it also helps with the volatility of the market as well, because now you're more diversified over more people and, and have more you know, diversified capital, which is just good for markets in general. Well said. I mean, it's funny. The, the more liquidity you have for the asset, the, the safer or less risky it is. And the less risky it is, the more appetite there is <laughs> and the more liquid it eventually becomes. So that's what's happening here. We're going to see a proliferation of real estate assets across type as well as geography in the next few years. The, the article that the in the opinion, opinion article, the author said that by 2025, they themselves think that more and majority of all real estate transactions will be tokenized. Let's see if they end up being right. Certainly I'm bullish. I think Kyle's bullish too. Count Hopefully you are too. Let us know your thoughts, your comments. Tweet out to us. Reach out to us on LinkedIn. Message us and, and reach out to the community on STO Market. And uh, with that, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.